we're continuing our People of God series. Now, I want to ask to start with a question about your favourite book or favourite movie. So, is there a movie or a book that you would love to go back and read or watch for the very first time? You can't. Once you've seen it, once you you just you can't go back. Is is there Juno? Thank you. It's not a rhetorical question. Juno is a good one. Wuthering Heights. I'd like to go back and never read that again. <laughs> I don't get the hype. Hi, Jen. Um, any other like? Oh, Lord of the Rings, book or movie, both. Okay, yeah. There'd be some Harry Potter people out there. Yeah, I'd love to go back and read that for the first time, even though I read it as an adult. I was thinking last night about Little Miss Sunshine. I don't know if we got any fancy. We yeah, we watched it last night, and there's a scene in there. Um, that's that the first time you watch it, I, I belly laughed and I do not belly laugh. Like it, it, but you can't you can't go back. What's the point? The point is I would love to be able to read the gospel story for the first time. I would love to approach it not knowing how God came, not knowing how it ended, not knowing the continuing story. Like wouldn't it be great to approach that story for the first time? to go, oh my gosh, that's how God chose to come? Oh my, so that miracle? He chose that miracle? Hang on, he's, it looks like he's heading to death. Like, oh, whoa, wait, the tomb's empty. Like, I would love to approach that for the first time. So today, as we continue on our People of God series, I want to take a look at one scene in the story of Mary, in, in Mary's life, and to try and see it with fresh eyes. I know we can't, I know we can't go back, but I want to invite God to speak to us in a fresh way. So let's pray before we go any further. Father God, you are a very, very good God. You came in extraordinary, surprising ways uh, through creation, through your people of God, through Jesus coming to earth. And this morning, we look to you to offer us not fresh ideas, but to remind us in fresh ways how we can follow you, how we can be loved by you, how we can be seen by you. So we offer this time to you. We ask you to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So this story that Nick kindly read out to us is the second part of a mirror. The story before it is really important to understand or to get the significance of the story after it. So you'll you'll be aware that in the beginning part of Luke, we see, first of all, the story of Zechariah. Zechariah is uh, of a very important lineage. He's an, you know, a, a semi-important guy. We hear a little bit about his um, background. So if you've got your Bible there, just have a look at it. In chapter 1, verse 5, we hear that he's a priest. He belongs to the priestly division of Abijah. We even hear about his wife's lineage because she's part of, she's a descendant of Aaron. So this is important. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we had our Indigenous speaker here, one of the first questions you will be asked in an Indigenous community is, who's your mob? Who's your mob? That's a very common question. That's not just an Indigenous question. Right back in first century and throughout most of history, who you are is a really important question as to who, who you're associated with, who, who are your parents, who are your grandparents, who's in your lineage. 
and we see that there's a very important message given to Zechariah. So here's the, here's the mirror, right? So Zechariah is visited by an angel from God. He's troubled by that visitation. He's told there's going to be a miracle. There will be a son. He will have a purpose and he will be great, right? Very, very similar to the story that Nicole read out to us, except very, very different. And that's what we need to take a look at to understand some of the significance here. So once we, once we get over the story of Zechariah, we see that the, the scene changes. So the first scene is in a really important place. Where is it? If you've got your Bible there, where, is the first, where does the first scene take place? That's right. In the Bible, yes, yes, that's true. In the temple, it's in the temple. The first story is in the temple. The second story is somewhere very insignificant by the standards of the day. So we see that Gabriel, the messenger from God, goes to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is a bit of an unknown, unknown, unimportant town. Um, some people say there might have been, you know, archaeologists looking back say there could have been like 1,600 to 2,000 people living there, but even more recent archaeological discoveries say that it might have only been 500. It's a small, can I say, piddly little town about the size of Rill in Phillip Island. People know each other. It's not significant. So we go from temple to a far less significant place. Then we go to Mary. Now, have a look at what is said about Mary here. Does it give her lineage? If you've got your Bible open, does it it give her lineage? The virgin's name was Mary. That's it. One commentator said she may as well have been an orphan. We know nothing. This is just, this is Mary. But then she's got this um, really incredible greeting and no wonder she's troubled by it. What is said to her? Mary was greatly troubled when he said, um, the angel said, greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Now just, just step back for a second. Not even someone of really high status is deserving of that greeting. And as a young female, you know, like she's a teenager, someone whose, whose parents we don't even hear about, she is, she is so unimportant in the biggest scheme of things according to the context of the time. And yet, the angel says, greetings, you who are highly favoured. You don't even talk to a person of that low status. So first of all, she's being spoken to, visited by an angel from God, and then she's highly favoured? No wonder she's troubled. This doesn't make, this doesn't make sense from a first century perspective. And this would have shaken the first century hearers. So she's favoured not because she's got status, not because she's some incredible person who's known, who's, who's in the temple, not because she's anything. She's favoured because she's favoured. Is that possible that we are favoured because we're favoured? I have no doubt that Mary was chosen for, for reasons other than random choice. You know, she probably showed great faith and great obedience, but she has no status and yet God says, you are highly favoured. That message is sent through the angel. And we don't have, I don't reckon we've got an equivalent 
we're, we're sort of anti-status in our world today. Like, uh, you're just important, Michelle, because you're important. So, so that's, that's, a modern, that's a modern view. It's not an ancient view. And the only thing, and it's a lame comparison, but the only thing I could think about was um, a footy player or a movie star. So imagine um, Liam Hemsworth is walking down the main street of Eltham and imagine everyone's flocking to him and then there are, there are another group of people who, who go, no, 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 wait. And they look to his, Liam's manager's teenage daughter and they all rush up to her and ask for an autograph and say, oh my gosh, it's Chloe. It's Chloe. doesn't make any sense, does it? I know it's a lame comparison. It's about the only one we've got because we... we and, you, and you could say the same about a footy player. But why is she chosen? This is extraordinary. And extraordinary is what God does. He takes a truth and he just flips it on its head. And it says something to us today or it can say something to us today. So she gets told, don't be afraid. You found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Again, I'd love to go back and read this for the first time. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Forever, His kingdom will never end. Now, Mary asks a question. Zechariah asked a question too. She asks a question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Very good question, by the way. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And, and on he goes. But interesting response, isn't it? She has a question, but her question is not, that's ridiculous, I don't believe you. She doesn't come out with statements. It's a question. How ridiculous, that doesn't make any sense. That's not her response. She doesn't say, how dare you use my body for those purposes, which would probably be the modern approach. This is Mary saying, I don't get it, but I surrender to it. She trusts in a way that shows extraordinary faith because sometimes things happen and they are just not the way we expect them to happen. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, whether you find this scene confronting or not, no one can argue her faith is extraordinary. And you may not be able to read this slide that Isaac's about to put up, but, oh no, you will not be able to read that. But I want you to note the highlights. So this is this mirror image going on between the story of Zechariah and the story of Mary. So that the mirrored story. So first of all, the vision the, the vision, um, the, the recipient is troubled by, by the message that's given. There's a do not be afraid. So we see this continuing all the way. To, can you see it? Yeah. Oh, I had my glasses on. That's why I couldn't see it. So, so there's, there's this miracle. There's going to be a child. Their name will be X. That will be great. So we see all the similarities. And where's the difference? Yep. Yep. All right, well. So be it. <laughs> so, so we see this massive difference in how Zechariah receives that news and how Mary receives that news. So they both ask a question, but clearly there's something in the gut that Zechariah gives this whole, uh, uh, I don't think so. And Mary says, 
may it be to me as you have said. And as a, as a nice reward for Zechariah's response, he gets to be mute until after John is born. Mary is blessed because she receives that word with faith. I want, I want to be a Mary. This is a very well-educated but very cynical world that we live in. I am cynical. I own it. I, I read something and go, oh, I don't know. And there's a, there's a place for questions. Mary asks the question. There's a place for doubt. There is absolutely a place for doubt. But I, I don't want to be on that side. I don't want to be the Zechariah who says, I, I, I really, no, I don't, I don't get it. I don't want it. I don't, this is wrong. I want to be on this side. When God whispers in my ear, I want to be the one who says, may it be to me as you have said. So in our People of God series, we've learned a lot about how to respond in childlike faith. That's childlike faith. This is someone with no status. This is someone with no... She's a, she is a nobody and yet she becomes a somebody because she willingly accepts that which God gives to her. Now, she, she had the Old Testament. She didn't have the New Testament. She had the Old Testament. Now, she's not taught it because she's not a boy, but she would have absorbed it, there's no doubt. And I, I have no doubt that, that, that part of her response is this knowing and understanding about who God is. She would have read in Genesis 28:15 the words to Jacob when God says, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. That would have been ringing in her ears as a good Jewish girl. Joshua 1.19 to Joshua, as it was with Moses, so I will be with you, God says. I will never leave you nor forsake you and be, I want you to be strong and courageous. She knew this message. She had no doubt lived this message. And, and I wonder, and I don't know, but I wonder whether she's thinking about Isaiah 7.14, the prophecy that says, the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. I just wonder in that moment if she's like, oh my gosh, this prophecy is being fulfilled in me. And despite not knowing from that moment on how this will unfold, I mean, she could get killed for this. That's the reality of it. This is not No one's going to understand or believe her story, not only because she has no status, but this has never happened before. And yet with all of that, all that fear and trepidation and all that unknown, she says, may it be to me as you have said. So what can we learn from it? What can we learn from these moments of surrender that we see in Mary? First of all, I want to suggest that if you think you're a nobody... You are wrong. You are wrong. You are a somebody. God chooses those who have no status, who have no no standing, and he uses those people to make the world better. That's just how he works. 1 Corinthians 1.27, For God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and he will use you and he will use me if we allow him. As a kid, I was painfully shy, painfully shy. Um, I've probably said this before, but if there was, you know, you know, when the teachers say, now we're going to read a sentence each, and I would count up 
and I would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and still stumble over the one line that I had to read out. And yet God, crazy as he is, chose me to be the one to stand up and speak to you most weeks. I still don't get it. I am very, very ordinary. And yet on Friday, and this is not to brag, this is to say God uses the ordinary. Someone stood next to me at a conference that I was on on Sunday, uh, Friday and said, I remember the message you gave in 2007 and gave me the four things that I said. That's not me. That is not me. I am not extraordinary. I am very simple. I am very basic. I am very, I am very merry. And yet God chooses the ordinary. He chooses the basic. He chooses the plain. He chooses every single one of us to do his work. And I bet that there would be people in all of your lives that I could go to and they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, my life has been touched by Stephen, Daniel, Julie. You'll never know. This side of heaven, you'll never know. But God will and has used you And all we need to be is willing. All we need to be is willing. I would encourage you, if you want to be used by God, if you want to be a Mary, just offer yourself to God. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll give. I'll say what you want me to say. It's simple. So simple we almost go, nah. We almost do a Zechariah, nah. Can't be. No, it actually can be. God uses the ordinary. Allow him to use you. And the second thing I would say, and I'm speaking predominantly to to myself, let's reject the cynical. It's not be cynical or be naive. That's not not the the two options. It's be cynical or be humble, faithful, ready to hear from God. So I, I am going to say to God, I'm sorry that I've been so cynical. But that's my stance in the world. That sometimes when people say, oh, God did this thing, I'm like, really, did he? That's me. I sometimes do that. I don't want to do that. I want to be the person who is ready to hear from God, even if it's an extraordinary message, and go, yep, may it be to you, be to me as you have said. So you too might want to be in a posture that says, I want to, to, to approach the world like Mary, more, more simply, more faithfully, with a level of trust that says, you do what you need to do. Now, in a minute, Alyssa's going to get up and read. Did you? Why, why that? I've been waiting for the moment you asked. Oh, right. Oh, here it is. So, in a minute, Alyssa's going to get up and read Mary's response. When she finds out this news, she then goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth and she has this beautiful prayer. You and I would be going, heck, what, what's going on? What's going to happen? I don't understand. This is very scary. But that's not Mary's response and I want Alyssa to read out her response from Luke chapter 1. But after that, there is an opportunity to reflect. You don't have to stand up and use the mic. We're a small, we're small in number. If you have a loud, you know, if you can use your big, big people voice, do you have a statement about this prayer, about this message? Do you have a, a thought? Do you have a reflection, a story? Push back, push back if you want to push back. I would love to open it up for 
just that opportunity to engage with each other. Because this mono thing, like the, I don't know, there's something about it. I want to hear from you. So Alyssa's going to read this out and then we will have a, an opportunity to respond. Thanks, Liz. Feel free to use the mic if you'd like, but does anyone have questions, comments, stories? What do you think about Mary's response? Disturbingly, they, they suggest she would be around 13. She would have absorbed a lot. She would have absorbed, but yeah, that what was there a part of her that just had no idea how hard this was going to be? Possibly. Something's up. Yeah. Keep keep rolling it around. Keep rolling it around. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I was going to say it's an interesting thing though for a 13 year old now to have a child, but back then yeah. they were young. Yeah. Yep. So it was a common sort of thing. So it's absolutely like absolute shock right now. Yep. Yeah. And Oh, no. No, she was marrying age. She was betrothed to Joseph. So she, this was, I know, it, to, our, to our 21st century years, there's so much wrong with this, but culturally this was really appropriate for her to be getting married and to be having children. And, and you want to make it worse? The guys were usually about, you know, 30. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the culture they were in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And she's human. She's not. She's not Jesus. Yeah. Would she have doubted? Would she have second guessed herself? Um, for those brought up in the Catholic tradition, how how do you, or even if it was High Anglican, how, how is Mary spoken about? She's it in a bit, and and almost perfect. You know, you, I, I was always going to tend to Rosalba, but you weren't brought up in a Catholic tradition. No. 
Yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm. And, and, and often our Protestant response to that is just to overlook her. But she, she's not to be overlooked. She is incredibly faithful and, and special in this story. And she's there from the beginning right through to the cross. We see her at the cross. Absolutely no doubt a life of pain and anguish. So much of what she experienced would have been that. Do you, do, you, do you take anything from this message? Does it challenge you in any way? I think for me, the, the bit where you're talking about cynicism was struck a chord with me. And I think, um, I think sometimes cynicism is tied in with hurt mm. as well. And so maybe this young, tender age, she hadn't, we don't know her upbringing, but maybe she hadn't been traumatised. But when I think about where I struggle with cynicism is with the people stuff. Mm. Where have I been hurt? Where have I been damaged? And how has that affected my relationship with God? Mm. And so I'm challenged this morning to go, you know what? Got to come back, mm. back from that, deal with that, and come back to God in faith. Yep, that's a good point. It's not about just switching off the cynicism button. It's about dealing with the reason that we approach things in a cynical way. And in, in Zechariah's defence, they'd been trying to have a child for how long? Their whole married life, no doubt. She is beyond childbearing age. So when someone says you're going to have a child, the hurt immediately leaps out for sure. Mm. Because that's the bit of the story I left out. More for me. Um, yeah, that, that, that Elizabeth's response is really important in her ability to praise and worship like that. Yeah, it's really good. Any other last comments, thoughts? Yeah, she knows who her people are. Yeah, she knows who her mob are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's painted in a way that helps us to understand that she's not extraordinary, but she's from an extraordinary people. Yeah, she knows who she is. Yeah.